You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by MLB.com national content editor, Matt Myers. Today is Thursday, November 11th. We're going to be joined by a guest a little later on, MLB.com national writer, Mark Feinsand, who's reporting live from the general manager's meetings in California. Before we get to that, Matt, I wanted to ask you something. Did you think Andrew Heaney was going to be the first free agent to sign with a new team this year? Andrew Heaney, of all people, who got lit up so badly as a Yankee that the Yankees essentially just stopped pitching him. And not only that, and we're going to ask Mark a little bit more about this later. He reported that like a dozen different teams were interested in a guy who had an ERA of over seven with the Yankees and nearly six for the season. And I think there's some really interesting, it says a lot, I think, about what teams are really trying to do with pitching these days. Yeah, I mean, there's the juxtaposition of Andrew Heaney getting a one-year uh $8.5 million deal and Wade Miley, who was legitimately like effective last year, 3.37 ERA getting put on waivers um, because he's getting paid $10 million and a few teams actually passing on him before the Cubs claimed him. I think it speaks to exactly what you're talking about. It's like, this is like teams are not looking at, at, at past results as a, the, the, the key indicator anymore. It is, you know, a combination of past past performance results and projection. And that's what you see that right there. The, 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 these two both left-handed pitchers, one of whom throws hard, has, you know, underlying, you know, metrics in terms of spin and movement versus a guy who's basically what we used to call like a thumbing, a thumbing lefty in Wade Miley. Um, it's a really interesting uh, comparison. I should point out there is a five-year age gap there. You know, Miley is older, but I think there's a little bit too of people who run the team's are, I mean, they're human beings, right? And they're trying to prove their own worth. So if you give $10 million to Wade Miley, who had a good year, but it's probably not that good of a pitcher going forward, and he's worse, you look terrible, right? But if you go out and get Andrew Heaney and you help convert him from being terrible to valuable, you look fantastic. <laughs> and I think that's like, you know, you're trying to show you're adding value to the team. And I do think that's part of it. If you don't know Heaney, you know, he's, I don't want to call him a soft tossing lefty because he's not like by lefty standards. He's got decent velocity. Um, his fastball has really interesting characteristics to it. He's got a above average uh, strikeout rate. Like he's really good at getting strikeouts. He's good at preventing walks. His weakness is home runs. My God, so many home runs. And it's really seems obvious the Dodgers are going to try to teach him, you know, a slurve or a slider or something that pairs with it to try to, you know, limit some of that damage. And if that happens, right, if you take him, and you make him into like not even a great pitcher, even a solid pitcher. I don't know what that says about the teams he was on because if they couldn't do that, um, 
that's not great. So, you know, obviously we are talking right now about the, the hot stove. Um, Mark Feinstein will join us in a little bit. At the end of the show, we're going to have a real good yeah, Yankee argument. And I'm excited about that because uh, we're going to have a special guest join us for that. What we have so far are we are right now in the middle of qualifying offer decisions, right? There are four guys who have, I don't know if they've officially filed the paperwork or whatever, but it's been well reported. They'll be rejecting the qualifying offer. They'll go out into free agency uh, and they can sign with whomever they want. Nick Castellanos, Michael Conforto, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. None of those are terribly surprising. I personally think Conforto should have taken it, but he didn't. And there's a bunch of guys who are left. You know, decision has not been officially reported. Like Trevor Story is not taking the qualifying offer. We know that. Carlos Correa and Freddie Freeman, they are not taking the qualifying offer. Matt, do you think there's anybody who's going to? Um, I think if 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 Noah Syndergaard doesn't take the qualifying offer, he will work out an extension with the Mets. I think the Mets offering making the offer all but guarantees he returns. Um, he essentially, you know, when he made one of his two appearances at the end of the year, he sort of like asked the team to give him the qualifying <laughs> offer. He <laughs> was like, I want to be back. So I think that like he's either going to take it or they're going to, you know, agree to some sort of like extension that has like, you know, options that are lucrative, that are, you know, incentivize, um, you know, that incentivize like his performance and everything like that. So I think that that's that one seems like a, a, a close, a close, close to a lock at this point. I think if you're a Mets fan, despite all the stuff that's going on with like the, the GM search, which has been its whole a whole debacle in its own right, we won't really get into. But like you have to at least be heartened by the fact that like the team does seem willing to to spend money. The fact that they gave a qualifying offer to a guy who's pitched two innings in two years. Um, so at least it seems like, you know, they at least are willing to, to, um, to spend on players. So I think that's the one that seems likely I could see Rysel Iglesias taking it maybe. Um, Cause he's certainly not going to be able to get anything close to that in terms of average annual, average annual value on his next contract. But I know players sometimes just like to go out and, you know, be wind and dine and like to choose their, where they're going to play for a few years. Cause that's the thing the, the qualifying offer is only one year deal. Right. So he might say, you know what, I want to, I've got one more big deal in my career. I want to pick my team and I want to be at least get a three-year deal out of it. And so that one could go either way for me. One of the most surprising guys who did not receive a qualifying offer for me was Clayton Kershaw. And when I saw that, my thought was one of two things. Either the Dodgers are terrified about his arm because they know more about his arm health than anybody, or they were in the process of working out a contract with him and they figured, well, let's save the qualifying offer for you know a couple of years down the road if it even exists because you can't give it out more than one. And some of the reporting around this has been interesting. So Fabian Ardaya of The Athletic talked to Andrew Friedman, and this is what Friedman said. Um, you know, I know Kershaw wants to take a little time with his wife and figure out what's best for them, and more importantly, get to a point where he feels good health-wise. And those are absolutely terrifying words for me. Like, it also sounds like there's a little bit of, you know, we don't want to encumber him with this thing out on the market because of what he's meant to us. And everybody expects he's either coming back to the Dodgers or possibly signing with the Rangers because he lives like down the street in Texas. But when there's still open questions about his arm health, I, it's not filling me with like warm, fuzzy feelings. Yeah, that's where, that's where my mind went too when they didn't give it to him because the... I mean, the you know, I know, you know, Freeman said the right things about how, you know, he's welcome with the Dodgers, but the, the, the Dodgers are also like a very, you know, process driven organization who, you know, results like, you know, very like bottom line. And the fact that they didn't suggest to me that they know that, that what they know about his health is not great. But, you know, I hope to be, you know, I hope that's wrong because Clinton Kershaw is one of the, you know, the, the greatest pitchers of this generation, if not the greatest. And I'd love to see him continue pitching at a high level. Yeah, one of the other interesting things Friedman says is, is like, 
they don't want to have to put a clock on it. You know, and the way the qualifying offer works is once a player has received it, they have 10 days to choose to accept it and return to their team or decline it and go out into the market. And it just sounds like they don't want to put any sort of artificial timeline on this decision, which sounds to me like this is not going to be resolved quickly and that it may be months or, or longer before we know where Kershaw ends up. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and talk to Mark Feinsand from the general managers meetings. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Here's the numbers for the Yankee left-hander combined with the Angels and the Yanks. 22 starts, 8-8, eight eight, 5.51. Swing and a miss. Duval goes down on strikes. Swing and a miss. Peterson down on strikes. Two away. Swing and a miss. And Heaney strikes out the side. Oh, Tony! Deep and high and gone! Oh, 42 is a bomb to right! Wow. Where did that go? This ball's got a chance. Get out of here and gone. Vladdy Guerrero for a second straight night. It's a home run in the night. And we're back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. And we are joined by our friend and colleague from all the way out in California for the next couple of minutes, Mark Feinsand, who has been attending the general manager meetings. For those who don't know, the GM meetings are somewhat different than the winter meetings. The GM meetings are exactly what they sound like. Uh, the winter meetings are like the entire sport and industry. And that doesn't happen until later in December. Mark, thanks for joining us. Before I you know, ask you a ton of questions about specific teams and players and so on, you've been going to these meetings you know, for a long time. How did it feel this year, just in the sense of like for the last year and a half, no one was able to really get into the same spot. You were doing all this stuff via Zoom. And now not only yourself and the GMs, but everybody else in the media in the same place. Was there a different feeling about it all this year than in past years? Yeah, there really was. It was it was nice to uh, be back having conversations with people face to face. And I think it, um, you know, it was a little tricky <laughs> my first day here. Uh, I was sitting in this little courtyard area outside of, uh, of the hotel and somebody was walking towards me and they sort of looked at me and acknowledged me and they were walking towards me to say hello. And I had this momentary anxiety of, I'm not really sure who this is. And that happens a lot at winter meetings in general, but at the GM meetings, you pretty much usually know everybody here. And fortunately, as they got closer, I, it dawned on me, but I realized like I haven't seen a lot of these people in person in two years. And uh, it was really nice to uh, be able to, to to see people, have some face to face conversations. It's uh, you get more out of a conversation face to face, and I, and I'm and I would imagine that the agents and GMs and, and other executives probably felt the same way about their meetings with each other. 
you know, that happened to me in the cafeteria yesterday. Someone I've known for 15 years stopped by and said hi. And it took me like 20 seconds for my brain to register. Like, oh, wow, it's, <laughs> it's Scott. I'm sorry. Uh, the other, you know, kind of big picture question I had for you is, you know, we all know that at the end of the month, the bargaining agreement is up and that may or may not get ugly. And we'll see how that goes. But what I found really interesting is that a number of teams have already been talking about like how how much they plan to be aggressive this winter. You know, like the Texas has talked about it, Detroit and Seattle and San Francisco. We know the Yankees need a shortstop and the Dodgers need starting pitchers. And have you been surprised at how much we've heard about teams, you know, even with this uncertainty on the horizon, like talking about the, the moves they're excited to make? Well, not really, because A, it's a very deep free agent class. So there's a lot of talent out there uh, that's going to be signed somewhere. And B, whatever happens with the CBA, uh, you know, if a team right now has $50 million committed in payroll going forward, then they know they're going to spend money this winter, no matter what the terms of the new agreement look like. So, um, you know, teams are in cycles. They know where they are in those cycles. And, you know, a team like Texas sort of has probably been pointing towards this offseason as, as an offseason that they were going to, uh, you know, start dipping their feet in the pool again in terms of free agency. So uh, I'm not that surprised. I'll be surprised if any of the, big time free agents uh, sign before there's a new agreement. But um, no, I think, I think, you you know, you could look at the landscape of the, of the teams out there and, and probably have had a pretty good guess about which teams were going to be aggressive this winter. I wanted to follow up a little bit on Texas uh, because the Rangers popping up as like an aggressive team this offseason has kind of surprised me. You know, at least with the Tigers, I kind of see it because they've got some, some interesting young pitchers and like, it always feels like the AL Central is a, a a division that turns over a lot, so it feels like there's there's a cycle there that they could really capture, and they've got Riley Green and Spencer Tor- Torkelson on the way. The Rangers, it feels like they don't really have that kind of momentum, and it it it, it's, it kind of runs counter to the way teams have been building in recent years if they go out and sign a couple of big free agents. Um, what do you think the situation is there? Well, I think there's two things. Number one, they have a new ballpark, and you need to keep it filled. Uh, and one of the ways to do that, if you're not going to be a great team, is going to be to bring in some names that get the fan base excited. Number two, I think that that Texas looks at their division right now and sees an opportunity um, to to make a move. And you know, the Astros, we don't know what's going to happen with Correa, uh, you know, Verlander, and and some other guys who they're uh, potentially going to be be without. Um, you know, the A's are probably selling everybody off at a big fire sale and starting their rebuild phase, which they do every, you know, four or five years, it seems. Uh, They have a much quicker success of rebuilding than most of these other teams who do it. But um, this looks like it's going to be a down phase for Oakland. And all of a sudden, Texas says, why not us, right? I mean, you look at at their division, Seattle's a good up-and-coming team, but are they a team that's guaranteed to go out there and win 90-something games next year? No. Um, so I think Texas looks at it as the, there's a chance to, um, you know, maybe with one or two big moves and supplementing it with some other, uh, some other pieces, um, you know, why not us? Who would you say is the most likely kind of big name free agent that the Rangers would sign in your mind? Um, I mean, Trevor Story is the one who, who keeps coming into my head just because if they're going to be in that short stop market, I don't know that they're going to be able to bring in. Uh, you know, convince a guy like Correa or Seager to go play there. Semyon's a little older. I don't know if that is something they would be looking for to bring in somebody who's already 32. Um, and uh, and Baez, I just don't see as a guy who would want to go into this 
uh, into that sort of rebuilding effort. Trevor Story's from Dallas, uh, so that's that's certainly a, a plus for them to pitch to him. Um, and quite frankly, coming off of a not so great year, he will probably be the the most affordable of the five shortstops. So if that's the market that they're trying to play in, uh, I think they'll take their shot at some of the other guys. But Story feels like the one that's most likely to land there. You and I had the opportunity to speak with Marlins GM Kim Ang, and we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of her being hired. And I have to say, she has already really mastered the GM non-speak. Uh, <laughs> I pulled some quotes from what she said. I think we're in pursuit of some really good offensive players, and we're looking to get better however we can get better. So she's already like mastered all that. Do you think that they're going to trade pitching for the bats that they need, or are they going to try to go sign someone like Castellanos? Like, how, what impression did you get from her about their plans? Well, she also told me that there were no untouchables when it came to trading, and she has to keep all options open. So Bingo card. She um, nailed the bingo card. She did. I, I actually <laughs> said to her at one point after one of her answers to something, I said, I said, wow, you really learned well from cash at a young age, didn't you? <laughs> uh, you know, because when I started on the Yankees beat in 2001, she was the assistant GM. And, uh, you know, she obviously worked with Brian Cashman for a number of years. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the Marlins are, are going to explore all avenues. I think all things being equal, they'd rather go the free agent route. Uh, which is weird because we don't usually talk about the Marlins spending money. But again, I think they're in that position where uh, they feel there's a chance for them. You know, they feel they've built something over these past few years with some some pretty good young players that if they can supplement that with with a, a couple of proven veterans, uh, and I think they're really looking on the on the offensive side of the ball without having to sacrifice the pitching. Um, I think that's the first choice for them. Uh, let's stay in the AL, uh, sorry, NL East for a second. And I think the big question for everyone is is the Braves and Freddie Freeman, right? The Braves don't – well, they've they've often spent big on average annual value or they've spent big on re-signing their own players. They've never really spent big in terms of long-term deals for free agents. And Freddie Freeman is now a free agent. You know, do you think that's going to happen? Are they going to, you know – Agree, are they going to be willing to agree to a, a deal that exceeds $100 million, something they haven't really been willing to do in the past for free agents? I mean, I think they have to, don't they? As happy as the people in Atlanta are that they won the World Series, that goodwill will turn south very quickly if they let Freddie Freeman leave right after winning a World Series because they don't want to pay him. If you know, if the Braves make him a, a big offer and he decides, you know what, I want to go try something else out or he has some other reason or some other team comes in over the top and just goes so above and beyond that, you know, makes one of those offers you can't refuse. Uh, then I think you could sell that to your fan base and say, look, we offered the guy, you know, X and somebody else offered three X, whatever. Um, if you let Freddie leave because you just don't want to pay him, uh, that's a bad look, even if you're coming off of a World Series title. So Knowing what he means to that team and, and to that city, I, I I still haven't – every time I think about potential suitors, I, I can't even, like, wrap my brain around the idea of him not being on the Braves. So um, that's one of those things, like, I'll believe he's not going to be a Brave when I see he's not a Brave. Mark, you reported something interesting the other day. Uh, the Dodgers signed Andrew Heaney to a one-year deal for over $8 million. And I saw you tweet that you'd heard that he had had interest from more than a dozen teams. And I think that was surprising to a lot of people because his ERA this year was nearly six and the Yankees just basically stopped pitching him. And now you have half the sport is interested in him. And I find it really fascinating just because he is like the archetype of what teams like the Dodgers are trying to do, which is to find guys who are mildly interesting in something and just make the most out of that, like make them better, like the Giants have done with Gausman. Were you surprised to hear that that many teams were interested in a guy who just hasn't had that much success? 
He throws with his left hand, Mike. Everybody wants people <laughs> who throw with their left hands who have great spin rates and 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 strike some guys out. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I talked to somebody and they started spewing out all these, well, his chase rate was great and his spin rate was great and this and that. And, blah, blah, blah. and I said, yeah, but he had like a 70 RA or something, didn't he? Uh, you know, I, I, there's, I think you're right. People are trying to figure out um, who they can get that have the tools they like that they can then throw into their pitch lab and and hopefully, you know, come out with Max Scherzer or whoever it's going to be. I, I think um, two people said to me, oh, so they're hoping he's this year's Robbie Ray, right down to the number of the contract, right? And Ray got one year for eight, so we're a year later, so now it's 8.5. Um, I wasn't that surprised that I heard 13 teams were in on him uh, and and as many as 12 of them may have made actual offers. So um, now the question there is, you know, did some of those teams offer him $4 million? Maybe, right? I mean, I don't think, I don't think he had 13 offers for 8.5 8. million. Um, but, you know, a, a year ago, I think we were sitting here going, Robbie Ray got $8 million and then he's going to win the Cy Young Award. So that's what we all know. Um, you mentioned uh, Haney's former team, the Yankees, and I, I, I have to ask you about them, Mark. You know, you're the team you used to cover, the team that everyone's always wondering about. It's a, it seems like a foregone conclusion they're going to sign one of the shortstops. From my perspective, Corey Seager seems like the obvious fit because there's been issues with the Yankees being too right-handed recently and that they could switch Seager to third base, assuming Anthony Volpe, um, or is it Volpe, I'm not sure, um, comes up in a, in a year or two and is as good as advertised. What's your sense of where that's going where that's going to end up? I've been going Volpe also, by the way, for what it's worth. So I'm hoping that that is correct. Uh, I think they wind up with one of the big shortstops. I think it's going to be Seager for the same reason you just mentioned. I think he just fits better. Um, and I know Brian Cashman said that that fan feelings on players is not going to be an issue at all for him. But there is still the fact that the Yankee fan base despises Carlos Correa, and I don't know that. You know, look, you put him in pinstripes and, and you know, Johnny Damon got cheered, Roger Clemens got cheered, and Wade Boggs got cheered. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that that really is going to be an issue, but I think Correa is also going to get more money than Seager. Um, and I just think that the left-handedness is really the, the biggest key. Now, could could Carlos Correa wind up with the Yankees? Sure. Um, but I but I think, I think one of those two players winds up there and uh, either – uh, Volpe moves to third base at some point or second base or one, or, you know, maybe if, if they decide that Volpe's a better shortstop, maybe see or Correa move to third base or whoever they sign. But uh, I'd be surprised if they went the stopgap route only because we've seen top prospects uh, in the minors, not be top players in the majors. And the Yankees are at a point where I don't think they're banking on a 20, 21 year old kid to be the answer in a year or two. Uh, they got to worry about the year or two before they worry about the prospect. So um, I- I'd be shocked if they don't wind up with one of these shortstops. Mark, I know you have a flight to catch, so I ask you two more questions and let you go. The first one is you are more plugged in on this stuff than almost anybody in baseball. So I'm really hoping you can help me understand why John Gray got out of Colorado without a qualifying offer. Um, that's a great question. I, <laughs> I don't have an answer for that because I was – the only reason, the only thing I could think of is they have been engaged with him on, you know, they've been made it clear that they wanted to extend him and bring him back and, um, you know, put something together. Maybe they're not planning on paying him $18 million a year and they just assumed that they feel good about where they are on extension talks. 
and they don't want to make that 18 a baseline. Um, but I don't know. I, look, the, I have to admit, I, I don't know Bill Schmidt. Uh, he's He got the job halfway through the season. I haven't had a chance to, to sit down with him at all, really. Um, so I don't want to criticize somebody who I've never actually had a chance to pick their brain and, and talk to. But this is not the first head-scratching move that he's made since since he took over. I, I'm still floored that Trevor Story did not get traded before the deadline. Uh, and, you know, they have an approach and they're taking it. Um, you know, the qualifying offer thing to me, if they didn't feel like they were going to get him back, then I think they would have made it for him. They would have made the qualifying offer because Bill Schmidt's a draft guy, right? He's an amateur draft guy, uh, which was one of the reasons that they didn't trade Trevor Story to begin with was they said, well, if he leaves and we have the qualifying offer on him, we're going to, we're going to get, you know, some picks and we're going to be able to turn that into something. You know, they, people, teams had to match the draft pick value basically in, in trade offers. So if they thought he was, that they weren't going to be able to hold on to gray, I think they would have made the QO to get the draft capital. Um, I still think he winds up back there, but you know, you put a pitcher on the open market uh, in a market where so many teams need pitching uh, and, and some numbers could get kind of silly and, and maybe surprise the Rockies a little bit. Last thing I want to ask you is having spent a couple of days at the GM meetings in and around the baseball world, what did you, what have you come away feeling differently about or that you've learned? And what I mean by that is a lot of the rumors that came out were unsurprising. You know, how oh, the Yankees are interested in a center fielder like Marte or a shortstop like Correa or Seager, and then met with those agents. Like, yes, obviously everybody knew that. Was there anything that you came away feeling differently about or that you learned you didn't know before? Um, Not really. I think... Maybe the one thing that in my head I was kind of iffy on coming out here, I wasn't sold that Correa was going to get Lindor money um, because, you know, he's had some injury issues. He's had some trouble staying on the field a couple times, and uh, it's a lot of money and a lot of years to give a guy, uh, you know, into his late thir- mid to late 30s. Uh, I come away from here convinced that he is absolutely going to get Correa. I get Lindor money. Um, and that there's a, a good chance that he might even top it. So um, I think, you know, when you're when you're not in a city watching a guy play every day, and obviously I watched Carlos Correa play with the Astros on TV here and there, uh, you know, saw him in the playoffs, but maybe you don't have a feel for for a guy's overall sort of not his game, but just sort of the value he brings to a team. And talking to people this week. Um, I did not meet one single person or speak to one single person here this week that doesn't think Correa is going to be in that Lindor range. So, uh, you know, it's pretty rare at this point to see free agents who are talking about 10-year contracts, but uh, I think Correa is going to be able to get it. And that was that was probably my biggest, I don't want to say revelation, but sort of the, the thing that that my mind changed on this week more than anything else. Mark Feinstein live from the GM meetings. Please go catch your flight. And thanks for educating us a little bit. We'll be right back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
It's the only thing that was going through my mind, to be honest. Um, you know, um, a lot of feelings, mixed emotions. Um, I spent seven years with this club, and uh, yeah, it was, it, it, it was going through my mind for sure. All I can say is I did everything in my power to make this team a better club, this organization, to keep training in the right way, and uh, I'm proud of, of my time here. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Our thanks to Mark Feinstein. Matt, I'm really interested in what Mark had to say about the shortstops uh, for a couple of reasons. The first thing that stood out to me was that, did he say that he thought Trevor Story was going to get the lowest contract of the big five shortstops? That was surprising to me. I, I kind of thought that was going to be Javi Baez. Like I sort of order them in my head, you know, one Correa, two Seeger, three Simeon, four Story, five Baez, but I'm open to the idea I might just be the lone man on Javier Baez. I think the, the issue the issue there might be that Javier Baez will not have a qualifying offer attached, whereas Story will. And that could actually make a little bit of a difference, especially as it apl- applies to the Mets, who are presumably going to be in on Baez. And the Mets are in a unique situation because because of the fact that they um, because they're willing, you know as we talked about earlier they're they're probably going to spend this offseason but because of what happened with the, the the draft with Kumar Rocker they got a compensatory pick right for the failure to sign Kumar Rocker so the Mets have like the number twelve pick and the number fourteen pick in the draft something like that if you sign a free agent who got the qualifying offer you could lose your second highest pick. So for most teams, that's like their second round pick. And they're like, okay, that's fine. We're willing to give up our second round pick. But the Mets are not going to be willing to give up their number 14 pick. So they're going to be in on free agents, but they're not going to be in on any of the free agents who receive qualifying offers, at least as I understand it. Um, And Sandy Alderson basically said as much. So Baez, for example, I think the Mets will be in on him and that could end up driving up, like that could end up driving up some of the, 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 um, the the bidding for him a little bit. So I think he and Story will probably be close, but I think that could end up being a, a determining factor. Yeah, they're actually born like two weeks apart in 1992. I think today or tomorrow, I should have looked this up. It's like Story's birthday is like today or this week sometime. The other thing that was interesting to me is that I got the impression from the people he talked to that Correa would challenge uh, Lindor's contract $341 million. That was surprising to me. I kind of thought Correa would get to like 300-ish and we're all, you know, shooting darts here because we don't know what the, the future CBA is going to look like. I did not think he was going to get up to what Lindor did. That that stood out to me as being a little surprising. It surprised me as well because it seemed like, you know, I, I thought some of the the what I had been reading was suggesting what you, what you heard. But obviously, Mark has been talking to agents and insiders, uh, you know, execs and all that. So um, I'll, I'll I'll take his word for it. And that's that 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 is very interesting. The final thing we want to get to, let's talk about Yankee shortstops. We know the Yankees need a shortstop. Labor Torres is not the option. He'll probably be the second baseman. And it's a good winter to do that because there's a ton of shortstops out there. Now, I think this is one area where I slightly disagree with you and Mark because it seems like you guys both think Corey Seager is the guy. And I get it. He's a lefty. They need a lefty, especially if Rizzo is gone. I just feel like Correa is a better fit because one of the reasons that Torres didn't work out there is because he's just not a good defensive shortstop. And Correa is like a massive improvement over Seager at shortstop. Now, maybe that means Seager's only there for a year or two and he moves to third when one of the prospects come up. But the larger elephant in the room is the fact that, I don't know if you guys know this, the Astros have had some history with the Yankees over the last couple of years. Carlos Correa, Correa at the center of that. And while I don't necessarily think that Brian Cashman should be making decisions based on whether the fan base would get angry, I think we know part of the fan base would get angry, and we are fortunate enough on this show. Our producer, Ryan Wallerson, who joined us midseason and has done a great job, is a lifelong Yankee fan, and we're going to ask him to come on 
and uh, maybe express some feelings. Ryan, would you, as the unofficial voice of the Yankees, Yankee fandom, accept Carlos Correa? And would it change if he starts bashing home runs and making great plays? I mean, he'd have to do it for years before we <laughs> forgave him. And, and that's the thing. Like, it would have to be the best case scenario for an extended period of time before we called anything a spade. Because, you know, you want to c- compare this to Wade Boggs or Johnny Damon. Yeah, we lost to them and we lost games that mattered. Heartbreaking games. But the fact is, you play a baseball game, you can win or you can lose. But if everybody comes to the field and plays the game the right way, you have to live with the outcome. That's not what happened in 2017. And so like Altuve, you know, Bregman, Correa, these are guys that I just, I can never see wearing the pinstripes just because of the, the animosity that we as Yankee fans associate with them and how much would have to happen for us to forgive them. It just seems like it would do too much to the locker room. Because unlike the Astros, who have turned over heavily since 2017, there are Yankees that lost that series that are still in pinstripes. I just, I, I don't see the, I don't see the, the mesh happening very well. I don't like what it would do to the chemistry. And while I do like the fact that Brian Cashman isn't a slave to his fan base because he shouldn't be, and you have to be strong as a New York City-based front office executive. So I like that, and I also like the fact that he's in talks with everybody because it shows that. The Yankees are all in, and frankly, they need to be because it's been five years, but close, but no cigar, and we need to do something about it. I I, I just, I can't believe that in his heart of hearts, he would, even even if Correa was the, no, I won't say even if Correa was the only option of the big five, if somehow it breaks out that the other four all sign or say, I'm not interested, and Correa is the only person that's willing to put on the pinstripes, then it's like, all right, rocking a hard place. But if you can sign Seager, if you can sign Story, I mean, I know that Correa is a superior defensive player, but I just, for the camaraderie's sake, for the fan base sake, even if he's not going to say it to the press, which he shouldn't, I just can't see Brian Cashman doing that to his clubhouse because he does have to take that into account as well. The fan base, no, but clubhouse continuity, yes. Wait, that's interesting that you said it that way because I could see the fans getting upset. But there's not that many guys left in the clubhouse from that 17 team, right? Like Judge is there, obviously, but I don't know. Gary Sanchez may or may not still be there. And then, you know, a couple of the relievers like Chapman and Chad Green. But for the most part, the roster is really turned over. But you just named three core members of the Yankees and the three guys that I was thinking of when I made that statement. Judge, Sanchez, and Chapman, just because all three of them were so heavily involved in the good and bad of that series. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, you, you just named three team leaders. Like, is it okay for three team leaders to not be on great standing with a new free agent? Like, everybody's even if you weren't there before, you know that you turn to at the very least Chapman and Judge for leadership on the team. Even if you want to knock Sanchez for you know the lack of production and his tenuous stance as starting catcher of the Yankees. But the guys that weren't here look to these guys for leadership. And when they bring in, a, you know, Correa is going to get, even if he doesn't get 300, he's going to get more than two. So it's a big ticket free agent. Do you want team leaders and big ticket free agents beefing among guys that weren't here long enough to be able to, that just sounds like middle school drama. Like, I don't want that. <laughs> I, I have to beat the race. Like, I'm not yeah. trying to war internally. From my perspective, I'm I'm curious, like, you know, 
how much this plays into to, to Correa's mindset, right? Is he just like, I'm going to chase the top dollar no matter what? Or is he like, you know what? Like, if the money's close, I don't really want to go to a place where the fans might very well hate me, right? Like, so from my perspective, I still think, like, if, if I'm making the prediction, Seager ends up in New York, uh, Story ends up with the Rangers, as Mark said, and Carlos Correa ends up with the Tigers reuniting with A.J. Hinch. You heard it here first. I'll, ba- I'll bang that gavel right along with you. And I will say this. A friend of mine hit me up last night. Apparently, Carlos Correa was on Instagram in Spanish, and he was talking about uh, the Gold Glove Awards, and he had some pretty heavy things to say about Derek Jeter, things that I don't necessarily disagree with, but things that you cannot <laughs> say if you're a free agent that wants a contract from the Yankees, because like, it's just now it's 2017, and also now it's you're, you're bashing my captain. Like, What are you doing? You're clearly, it's insurance to not okay, end wait. up with the Yankees. That's what it sounded like to me. I forgot about that. I'm glad you brought it up. So Carlos Correa is like one of the more analytically focused players in baseball. He said on MLB Network like two months ago, uh, I only look at, you know, OPS plus or weighted runs created plus. I don't care what my batting average is, which cool. And then, yeah, the other day he said, you know, Derek Jeter shouldn't have won all those gold gloves because the analytics said he wasn't actually a good fielder. And at least at the end, end of his career, I think that's true. And it sounds like Ryan agrees with that too. So that's interesting. Like, I wonder if people would give him a harder time for bashing number two than for anything he did just, it's in 2017. Territory. That's all I'm saying. It, it really is. Ryan, thanks for chiming in here. And um, I already regret having you on because now everybody knows how much better your voice sounds at this than Matt and I do. Yeah. So um, people are going to be yelling for more Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.